Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. Uh, skipping through time with me today, we have Michael Snydell. Brian, I thought you're not supposed to give up your opinion, but you picked a song called That's Amore. So I guess we know how you feel about this movie. Right, it has nothing to do with just the fact that he brings up the moon very quickly. <laughs> And we also have Bill Graham. Woo! Yeah. And we're here today to talk which, about... Which timeline, Bill Graham? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Oh. And who do I have to murder? Uh, literally everyone. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Today we are talking about the movie In the Shadow of the Moon. This is a new film, a Netflix original that just premiered this weekend. And we are excited to talk about it. It is by director Jim Mickle. And it stars Boyd Holbrook and Bakeem Woodbine. Who is not in the trailer at all. <laughs> did, did any of you watch the trailer and I see watched, Bokeem Woodbine? I watched a trailer and I think they have a line of his dialogue in it. Uh, okay. You'll hear it when I play that trailer later in this episode. All right. Anyways, Bokeem has a vibe in this movie and I'm into it. Everyone <laughs> in this movie has a vibe. We're going to spend 47 minutes talking about what the hell Dexter is doing in this movie. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's let's do this. <laughs> Sweet. Cannot wait. Uh let's uh let's do it. Let's let's uh let's kick through the the opening stuff as quickly as possible so we can spend the rest of our lives talking about in the shadow of the moon. Um as always, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, emails, podcast, filmstage.com. Go to iTunes, give us a comment and a rating. Of course, you can give to this podcast by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow, where for as little as $1 an episode, you can join our super secret Slack channel. You can get first crack at all of our cool giveaways and uh, generally just get a feeling of accomplishment knowing that you helped us to create more great episodes. What else? Uh, we're also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their curators pick a brand new film for you to watch and enjoy. Each film sticks around for 30 days, so you'll be constantly rotating selection of 30 movies to watch. Some of the stuff they have going on now, just in time for Halloween, they've got Lords of Salem by Rob Zombie. Yeah, the movie rules. <laughs> I was about to say, aren't you like a zombie fan? I am not a huge zombie fan, but there's some things I really like. And Lords of Salem is one of them. I have only seen House of a Thousand Corpses. I, I would say I would say try uh, Devil's Rejects or the Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem might be more up your alley, Brian. All right. Well, that is on movie right now. It just got added yesterday. So check it out. Um, what else have we got? The film of the day today is A Bread Factory Part One for the Sake of Gold by Patrick Wang. I've heard that's really good. And so I'm, I'm kind of glad that they got this one because it kind of came and went pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But I've heard really good things about this one. And it's um, 
very interesting acting style. So I'm trying to go in with an open mind. <laughs> this I, is what um, I've heard. <laughs> I love the idea. So they have this and they say one of the best, most underseen American movies of 2018, Patrick Wang's two-part story is reminiscent of the best of Robert Altman. I would love it if they only did part one. <laughs> Just like, well, we can only get part one, so we're going to put it up and then it's up to you to find the rest of it. <laughs> but I'm almost certain that the next part is coming uh, tomorrow. What else have we got? We got Ken Loach on there. All Once of his upon stuff. a time in Anatolia, you have seven days left. Uh, days. Yeah, one of the best things I've seen. This would probably be in my decade list, which I did, Whoa. which is weird. Seeing recent movies and being like, you know, this is one of the better movies I've seen in the last ten years. That's like I love when it's like January and you see a movie and you're like, oh, this isn't my number one film of the year just because I've only seen this film. <laughs> but you're like no this is actually a legitimately great movie and it might stick around sure. like something yeah. will have to defeat this <laughs> it's not like the commuter yeah, which i really liked but was like well this is number one because it's the first movie i've seen this year but i don't see it clinging to the top of the list um also on movie we have starred up by david mckenzie still there so uh make sure to go check all those out you can of course get your free 30 trial movie by going to mu bi.com slash film stage again that is mubi.com slash film stage i also want to just bring up that the movie that just left was the color wheel <laughs> <laughs> not gonna oh, i didn't want to plug sure it you've... so i waited until it was gone and now i'm like yeah also they had an alex ross perry film on there <laughs> oh god i really want to get him on the podcast i uh jesus like you know it's again like i've heard him on other podcasts seems like a nice guy i'm sure that he and i would have some conversations about other movies that could be very interesting but i just would feel so bad about how much i hate his films <laughs> yeah what would you do with that energy if you found out he's a really nice guy and you got along with him as I well would, like, like we you were on the same wavelength it's weird because there's like if <sighs> that's definitely a possibility there's a whole like, right i feel like he and i like if we met in a bar and we're just talking about like i don't know you know what if, what if you, what, you know what we if would if get along like really met, well what if y'all met and then you were like hey you know like what was your name and he's like alex and you're like what do you do alex and you're like I make films. He's like, like, oh, I'm the acclaimed oh. director of Listen Up, Philip, and The Color Wheel. And I would just be like, ah, oh, shit. Like, Tab, please. <laughs> I gotta get the fuck out of here. Oh, Oof. God. It's like, uh, I've been watching a lot of Frasier. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, my favorite thing is whenever, like, a character in a, a sitcom is like, you know, um, you know, oh, did you see, like, the Reynolds' new, like, piece that they're hanging over the mantle? And he's just like, oh, yes, I thought it was like a droll like blah blah it just talks about how shitty it is and then he's like and you're clearly the artist aren't you <laughs> and uh, i feel like that would be me and alex ross perry and i would feel bad about it but uh the truth cannot be silenced anyway uh <laughs> mubi.com slash film stage for your free 30 day trial of movie check it out oh man um that's it. Uh, it's a good way to start off this episode with us just like once again riffing on the concept of me and Alex Ross Perry becoming best friends and never being able to talk <laughs> about his movies. <sighs> I love it. So 
So here we go. It's time. We're going to talk about this movie, In the Shadow of the Moon, a movie that I didn't know about until like two weeks ago when Michael Snydell ran up a schedule for us because he's been doing such a great job getting guests and he wanted to try to get ahead of it. And uh, he was like, In the Shadow of the Moon. And I looked it up and there's a movie just called Shadow of the Moon, which is like apparently something about the actual moon landing. So it took me a while to find this one. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, that does sound really interesting. This is a movie about a detective who every nine years a serial killer reemerges and uh, kills people in a very specific way. And he's uh, it's tra- it tracks him tracking that killer through time. So that's not a you really didn't mention cool. Philly. Philly needs to be mentioned. Philly, Philly <laughs> is the third it's character. Star. <laughs> um, I I should have looked it up. Was this movie actually filmed in Philadelphia? How can it not be? <laughs> because like, and I, we're gonna we're again we're we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna do the whole thing. We're gonna play the trailer. But no, Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, of course. That's funny. I was literally about to say it because this looks like a movie filmed in Toronto and like, Philly. Okay, both. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm so sure they was- shot some plates in Philadelphia, <laughs> and they did like a couple of helicopter yeah, they, shots. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say they definitely flew in a helicopter because uh, you know, as you do. Right. So they have establishing shots and plates shot in Philly, and then they were like, and the rest is just pure Toronto where we will have seven extras on every street. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, In the Shadow of the Moon, it's on Netflix now. Here is the trailer. It's a normal boring shift. Too much to add. It's like a puncture one. Boys across town just caught two more bodies. Said both had some kind of mark on their neck. Got three random victims with the times of death and minutes apart. Bodies are miles apart. How's that work? Suspect heading west across Liberty. Hello, Thomas. What'd you say? Is this where it happens? All right. So that's the trailer for In the Shadow of the Moon. Again, on Netflix now, uh, we are here to discuss it, to talk about it, to try to wrap our brains around it. So let's begin. Michael Snydell, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on uh, In the Shadow of the Moon? Also, just realized, what are we ever going to count as a spoiler? Um, should we only talk about 1988? Yeah, I think we should talk about like the first time period and like our general feelings yeah. on the overall aesthetic sure. and construction of the movie and then like anything beyond that we've got to we really got to fucking just go to spoilers pretty quickly, I think. Okay. So so here's the deal. This I feel like we're going to have some unkind things to say overall about this film. I I think the premise is interesting and no way does it work in two hours i I think even as a tv show this would be this is actually the rare movie that i think would work better as a tv show and it would still require dramatic rearranging because this film the way it wants to be a supernatural procedural but also be an in the moment uh political film 
and a oh, I, I don't know. Like it, it's it, it is bizarre how many of these pieces are familiar, but the the way that they're configured is unusual to say the least. Um, you know, Boyd Holbrook is, is someone who I've enjoyed in the past. Uh, Michael C. Hall is someone I've enjoyed in the past. I'm not sure Was. that <laughs> is uh, that either wait, of wait, them. Wait, Bill, did you think that Michael C. Hall is dead? No, no, no. But the way that he's talking about them is that <laughs> Uh, God rest their soul after this movie. <laughs> no, not God rest their soul after this movie. I mean, this is like at times this is a solid movie. It just it doesn't remotely hold together, and it's fascinating and totally baffling. And like to just to give a sense of the scope of this movie, we are only going to talk about the first time period, which is maybe twenty five minutes of a two-hour movie is that about right guys i think that's i i should yeah i think i should have checked time that's, for stamps yeah, but yeah it's, that it's sounds chapters, about right it's chapters. that is all set up and there are five time periods in the movie there are there is some aging makeup that will is uh obviously just preparing us for the irishman um <laughs> and, oh, <Jesus. laughs> uh. and there yeah, I, I don't I don't even know what to say about this movie. There are so many question marks. It 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 uh it reminds me of my beloved frequency movie I rem- mention every once in a while. My I don't think anybody asked, remembers. <laughs> no, my girlfriend asked me about that right after she watched this movie. She was like, Have you ever seen Frequency? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if frequency is good, but frequency <laughs> is it commits. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a way to put it. Yeah. I thought I really thought I'd have more coherent thoughts about this. It's way harder than I thought. It it's, <laughs> it's a solid procedural that bites off another three course meal that it can't handle. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bill Graham, what are your basic opening thoughts on In the Shadow of the Moon? <clears throat> uh, I like when I like Jim Meckle, right? As a, as a director, as a creative force. Um, unfortunately, I Same. I haven't really enjoyed his his late last few films output. Um, this among them. Uh, this movie certainly commits to something. Uh, what it commits to is, is one of those withholding information from your main characters just long enough to somewhat be interesting. Right. And that's kind of one of those real tricky, dumb movie plot devices that (laughs) sometimes can work well. And sometimes can work real disastrous. And this one is more disaster than well, uh, works well. Um, I think, I don't know what Michael C. Hall is doing in this movie at all. Um, I also am not quite sure that... Hard to I'm, talk about, right, Bill? Yeah. You, know, you are having I, such a hard time I, to talk about this. It's driving me crazy. I, 
I'm I'm really I'm really curious what kind of production this had, uh, how it was yeah. filmed, uh, what order, things of that nature, because and and how the script was originally laid out and conceived. Because I feel like there is a nugget here, an an idea that's interesting that doesn't necessarily like break break a lot of uh new ground but it's still entertaining and fun but this film sucks the life right out of all of that um it's what just under two hours or just over two hours it's right around that like it's now 55 minutes yeah Yeah, so so between the breaks that i had to take to a you know a couple of times yawn and then realize maybe I need some food to keep up with this movie. Um, yeah, two, just a little over two hours for me, total watching time. And I, I really fell right in the middle. So I was like, Oh boy, this movie is not working for me. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know this. I feel like this needs a grand finale and it definitely does not have a grand finale. And that's, you don't, that's you what don't think that 20 solid minutes of exposition counts as a grand finale. Absolutely not. No, unfortunately no. So yeah, it, this, this is definitely a movie. It's definitely on Netflix. This is, this is 100% a movie on Netflix. Um, this, so you saw a mute, right? Brian, is this comparable? This is, so okay, I yeah, I saw Mute, I reviewed Mute. We talked about Mute briefly on this show. Mute was real bad. Um Mute was like one of those movies that you look at as an argument for the involvement of an overbearing producer in studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um someone to come in and say, "You know, Bob, I just don't know about this thing that you're trying to do and maybe you need to like close down and and really like work on this on a script level." Um, it's also one of those movies where you're like, you know, he's been trying to get mute made for like 10 years, uh, Jones, and it shows cause it's like, you know, he, it'll be one of those things where it's like, well, I always kept going back to the script and I was like, oh, I still want to make mute. And so I'd work on it, but then something else would come up and it's like, maybe you should have had some version control. Maybe, maybe you should have like stopped just adding stuff at some point and, uh, just really started to rework it. This is aesthetically worse than mute mute looked like an, a movie an expensive movie with production values and stuff this michael snydell you said should be like a tv show this reminds me of like the pilot of that flash forward show on abc mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're just like you mentioned flash forward <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> flash forwards along with drive is uh one of those things where I'm like, that's a show that I watched every aired episode of, and for some reason have cl- crystal clear recall on it. This like has staggeringly low production values to the point where I kept thinking, like, if this is how you had to make this movie, don't make this movie. Yeah. It's like abandoned, empty streets. It's you know really kind of lazy camera angles and blocking and setups. It's one of those movies where everything that they say in the first 25 minutes is, you know, it's going to come back to you just feel the hand of the screenwriter and the the director. And it's it's to the point where you feel the crunch of the budget so much in the production values and the editing and the, the special effects just in terms of like, 
you know, minor CG to, to augment Philly and make it seem like it's 88 or something that you're like, well, of course they couldn't just have these people be characters. They couldn't afford to shoot the three or four extra dialogue scenes it would take for them to have one conversation that wasn't directly and materially important to the plot. You know, it's just, there's, it's too neat in terms of everything slots together, but it's way too messy in terms of what those connecting pieces create. It is just, it's like bad in a way that I found almost compelling because I was like, oh, we don't get shoddy movies like this anymore. Um, I guess Netflix is like, you know, the new... Uh, canon films in some ways where it's just like well we've got a couple of actors who people will recognize you know Boyd Holbrook is still waiting for that performance that's gonna put him up there with the Chris's kind of I'm sorry were you gonna say something no no you said enough that's fair and I love Boyd Holbrook I have seen him in many things that I've really liked I I think I was like super effusive about my my love of him in The Predator He's mm-hmm. like the reason that movie works. I liked him as Pierce in Logan. I loved him in, or I didn't love him, but I really liked him in Run All Night. You know, I, this is a guy Walk who I see him stones. and I'm like, oh, you know, Boyd Holbrook. I, I like that guy. I will watch a thing with him. And so when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, great. He's also really good in, um, I think the first thing I ever saw him in that I recognized him as being in was A Walk Among the Tombstones. Yeah. Good movie. Yeah. Oh, great movie. I, that's like one of my, um, not a sick day movie, but like a, a lazy day movie where I'm just like, I want to watch a movie I know is good and that I will always like. And that's one of it. Um, he was also apparently in Out of the Furnace as Tattooed Guy. I loved Out of the <laughs> Furnace. Uh, don't remember him in that. Maybe I'll have to watch it again. <sighs> oh, boy. But like in this movie, he just doesn't have a lot to do. And again, it comes down to that feeling of like constricting economy where it's like, you know, could maybe my could maybe my wife and I have like one scene together. That's not just like clearly important to the plot. Like maybe I just like, sure. what if we just talk about like the Phillies game? And they're like, no, 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 no. We got one take. <laughs> That's as much digital storage as Amazon was allowed to give us for this or Amazon. Netflix is allowed to give us for this movie. There can be no extraneous dialogue. You know, everything has to fit and you can feel that happening. And when you feel that happening in a movie, when it feels, you know, hermetic to the point of just like uh just having no soul no looseness when it feels like the whole world is clicking on clockwork just to get these characters to the next set piece it's hard to get lost yeah. in it and this movie doesn't even have the style that you would need to make something this crazy work mm-hmm. it's a very strangely boring movie it's visually. so bland yeah yeah it, it's what i was watching and it was like my sometimes my eyes seem to have trouble focusing and yes. I, could, I could feel all of the different bits and pieces coming together. And it was annoying to me that none of the characters could. And then, so it's funny. I was watching this movie and uh, Michael Snydell, I guess you were watching it at somewhat concurrent time frame as me <laughs> because you texted on our Slack uh, something to the effect of this is a movie or like <laughs> It was something, something crazy like that. You were like, uh, guys, this is a, that is a movie. And then I responded a minute later, I'm in the middle of it now. And then, and then. Stuff happens. Like I, so according to the timestamps, I texted you at 949 
the first text that you sent was at 9.28. So 20 minutes later, I texted you, uh, what? (laughs) And that's how quickly this movie went from, this is just kind of dull and boring and bland and really like kind of awful to, this might be the most fucking crazy thing I've seen in a long time. A movie that is... Serenity? Because, well, Serenity had that movie sheen you know like i would never say that serenity looks like it should be an abc pilot yes (laughs) i would never compare serenity to the i think it's a joseph fine starring flash forward (laughs) (laughs) which also stars uh the 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 great jet or the amazing jet jackson i believe okay sure yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know um but like but like (laughs) serenity looks good and serenity has some weird camera shit going on. Serenity starts with the camera going into a boy's eye, then going to a tuna view, and then going to the most crazy-ass tension-building set piece that I've ever seen where a man threatens another man with a knife because he wants to reel in the fish. Like, you're not bored during Serenity. You're not aesthetically deadened during Serenity. Serenity, weirdly enough, has a seemingly thriving community living in it, whereas this makes Philadelphia seem apocalyptically empty. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like, Serenity is... I don't know how we got on Serenity, Michael. Serenity, like, makes me feel something. And this movie was, like, nuts. And then the twist of this movie, I can't wrap my brain around. If this is perhaps the most dangerous and morally corrupt movie that i've ever seen (laughs) and um we're gonna have to talk about it (laughs) wait i joker's not till next week brian well that's the crazy thing (laughs) this is gonna be the most insane like double feature ever because people and you know we're not not giving away the twist yet but people keep talking about like there's more police in theaters for Joker. Like, does Joker, like, inflame, like, in, in uh, what's the word? Like, white male aggression? Is Joker, like, an incel parable? I spoke to a girl on Twitter who says the craziest thing is that it's nothing about incels. And so everyone screaming about that is just wrong. And I wrote to her. I was like, that's insanity. It's almost like judging a movie's themes before seeing it is never a good idea. <laughs> and so... I don't know what Joker's going to be like. We will talk about Joker when it comes out. But people have been saying that that's a dangerous movie. And this movie... <laughs> this movie is... Like, I want to see this movie and The Hunt back to back. Because I swear to God, if you put... Like, The Hunt seemed like a like a good old-fashioned kind of a eat-the-rich sort of hide-and-seek type of thing. I can't even talk about the stupidest things about like wider culture because it's kind of a spoiler. But this movie's fucking crazy. <laughs> this movie's insanity. This movie's twist is is crazy. Also, I'm looking at the cast of Flash Forward. It is stacked, baby. It's a good cast, man. Courtney B. It's Vance. A good cast. Joseph Fines. You got. John Cho, Dominic Monaghan, Barry Shabaka Henley. Anyway, Gabrielle Union. Yeah, bro. Lee Thompson Young. It's a good guess. Why are we talking about the OC, Michael, when we should be talking about Flash Forward? 
<sighs> anyway, I, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, there's there's no way to know. Uh, but yeah, so so like the 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 spoiler section of this. My concern is that no one's going to listen to this episode. <laughs> Um, because I don't know how popular this movie is. I don't know how much muscle Netflix put behind it. Um, maybe this is going to be one of those ones where we paradoxically get a shit ton of people listening because no one else is talking about this movie, which is a thing that happens kind of a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, fuck man. Like this movie goes places and has ideas. And I think that those ideas are very, very fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is some inciting shit. <laughs> it's a good thing we do not have time travel. It's a it's it's crazy to me that that Is it, is that a is that a spoiler? I don't, I don't know if I just spoiled. So. I don't know. I don't care. I don't know. It's uh it's hard to say. That's the other thing. <laughs> I 100% thought this was going to be a werewolf movie. <laughs> I at, at, at first I was like, "Oh, this is a sneaky vampire movie then, huh?" Okay. Motorcycles, yeah. Right. I was like, oh, it's like a werewolf, but instead of every full moon, it's just every blood moon. Which, by the way, there's like three fucking blood moons a year. Hmm. I looked you this up. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> because I was just curious, you know? I was like, this nine-year uh, thing. I mean, like, if, if you're just on Twitter, you know that every night is a super fucking crazy-ass blood moon, harvest moon, super moon, you know? So I was like... What is this thing they're talking about that this uh, this one random scientist comes and shouts about and then no one talks about again for another nine to 18 years? Oh, boy. Oh, I forgot about the scientist. <laughs> How could you forget about the scientist? He's such a linchpin. <laughs> OK, so so, yeah, uh, I just I like the movie. I, I feel like I almost wish we could start with the spoiler section in a kind of time travel switcheroo. Because I'm worried that talking about how bland and uninteresting this movie is, aside from Michael C. Hall's bananas accent, which film critic uh, Scott Weinberg said is actually a very authentic Philly accent, which is just another reason for me to hate Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked a few times on this show and in my personal life about my deep hatred for Philadelphia. Sorry, Amanda Waltz. (laughs) She's Pittsburgh. Oh, damn it. Oh, man. I'm going to tweet at her and tell her that you mixed that up because I feel like she will not be happy about that. Damn it. Ouch. Oh, Michael Snydell. Faux pas. Anyway. um, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so, 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 yeah, this is not a great movie. It's not a good movie. Am I the only um, one who didn't find it that hard to watch, though? I really didn't. Did you not find this to be like really cheap and chintzy looking? No, it's, I mean, it's not a good movie, but I'm saying I didn't find it a arduous watch. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it was. I th- I found I thought that aesthetically it was just like, ooh, this just looks real cheap. They like and not cheap like, oh, they didn't have money cheap. Like, you know, I, I watched uh, the, the movie that Christopher Nolan made for like ten thousand dollars. You know, Blue Ruin oh, is a great looking movie and he maxed it all his credit cards to get that made. Um, Jeremy Saulnier. And, but this movie is like, again, if you can't make it at the level that you need to make this look good, then just don't make it. You know, there's, there's gotta be a point where you're like, if we can't buck up the financing, if we can't rework the story, maybe we got to do this a different way. You know, maybe you move it from Philadelphia to like 
bumfuck middle of nowhere Kansas, you know? Sure. Also, just the whole first part of this is so insane. It's so dumb that All he's, right, a let's, beat, he's a let's, beat cop let's get into it. who is like just inserting himself into homicide investigations and going, yeah. if oh, I yeah. can solve a crime, they'll make me a detective <laughs> because I will have detected, you know? And it's like, that's not how that works. Why not just make him a rookie homicide detective already? Also, those cops are real bad if they didn't realize that was a puncture wound. <laughs> oh, the, everyone in this movie is terrible at everything they're trying to do. Except for the doctor and the the, the, the person with the flashlight that murders people. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's get into spoilers. It. Right? Are we all good? Yeah. The music right. in this movie yeah. is also very bad. Okay, okay, great. So, spoilers for this movie. How so everyone knew what was happening before the detective did, right? Like, was anyone blown away by the twist in this movie? By the what? The, the twist? <laughs> just like what twist? It takes him like Doc? four, four granddaughter or what? Just like he's yeah. he's. I couldn't tell at which point he realized that it was time travel. He seemed mm-hmm. very confused by it at first. And then, like, there's one jump where he is suddenly, like, a stark raving lunatic madman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's they're running through time. And uh, <laughs> You didn't think that was fun? I thought that was fun. <laughs> I think it needs to... I, okay, so we talk about, like, a Nicolas Cage movie, right? And I think you need Nick Cage in a movie like this. I think this movie needs to be goofier. Or it needs to be like a lot more serious, and I don't, I don't know which would make it better given where this movie goes. But like, isn't Nick Cage in that movie knowing where like he figures out that like aliens are gonna come and like Noah's Ark some people off of the the planet? Oh, uh, that's with Jessica Biel, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Yeah, poor Jessica Biel. MIT professor Joseph Kostler links a mysterious list of numbers from a time capsule to past and future disasters set out to prevent the ultimate catastrophe. Yep. And, um, I don't know. Like, I just feel like this movie, like it didn't, it didn't go crazy enough. It didn't alter him enough. I mean, this is a movie that involves a man digging up someone's body. Yeah. And being like, aha, I found you. Yeah, that was uh, bananas that the detective dude wasn't like, that That looks like a dead body. Right. That I'm looks sorry, like did you bones. desecrate a grave? Like, <laughs> yeah. Why did we do this? What, what's going on here? I like how it's on the news at the same time that they're at the cafe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, so like, there's a point where watching this movie, I was like, I don't even know who knows what and when. I am, um, mm. I'm kind of deeply disengaged because I know, in the, almost before the movie begins, that it's a time travel thing. And also, sure. it's just weird because again, this goes to what I was saying about how small and closed off this movie seems. It almost seems like I can't track what he, and this is also because his character is so ill-defined. But like, he doesn't seem that messed up and like his change seems to also happen with the moon and i think giving us only those moments with a script this poor and a a film crafted this poorly doesn't help us to track his growth as a character he just seems like a an actor playing another caricature 
mm. from time to time. You know, so like I he digs up a body and I'm like, oh, is that where we're at now? And he like very sloppily secretly pours some whiskey into the coffee that he's offered by a, a woman that he's interviewing. Yeah, and I'm just that like, was, uh, we're just like wild. going places like this is like we're just like, you know, I was surprised they didn't have him like popping pills at some point, too. I was like, you can't <laughs> just give him the indicators of a character who's damaged. Like, show me some of that damage. And a beard is not enough, <laughs> especially when his daughter won't stop talking about how horrible it is. Yeah. Uh, how many people call him a hobo in this movie? <laughs> a couple. Quite a few. Yeah, that happens quite a few tips. I, again, though, I, I like Pokemon Woodbine's vibe after he his leg is broken. Which, which by the way, would his leg still be that fucked nine years later? I you just never know how, how bad it was to begin with, and some people just don't recover. So I, I guess. thought he was lying about his leg. Because, you know, in a, in another movie, they would show this this person, like, snapping his leg and the bone through the leg. And sure. they just have him being like, she knocked the wind out of me. I think I broke my leg. And I thought that was like a joke about how badly he got his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. But then he shows up walking with a cane <laughs> yeah. in one of those, like, 90s something. era, like, pastelish yeah, we- track suits with a chain over his buttoned up collared shirt. I'm telling you, a vibe. He had a vibe. (laughs) And I was just like, would he still be on the force if he had to limp like this? Like, is he an evidence collection? Like, no. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to pass his annual physical at that point. But again, you also don't get made detective because you detected a case. You know, it's just it's the stupidest thing. This movie is just real dumb. (laughs) <laughs> and and then it comes to the point where you know we we've clipped around time a little bit and he's like I finally know where she's going I'm going to get her and he's like gonna shoot her and and she's like you know you can't because and this is like one of those moments where I was like yes again everything that's ever happened in this movie was a plot point she's like you made me my first ice cream pancakes <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've got the charm bracelet that has been following us through time. I've got all this other stuff going on. And, and it turns out that the killer, <laughs> we didn't even talk about the means of death. The killer is has been hop skipping through time and shooting a... a unstable isotope into people's <laughs> spines and then it is being remotely triggered basically at the same time so that's how and like three right like, okay why? bill why before we ask kill? the questions we just have to plow through what this movie does <laughs> okay, okay, because okay. there's so many and and so she i guess she starts the furthest forward in time and then moves backwards to 88 and she is doing this because at some point in the future 2024 there will be a nationwide string of oklahoma city style bombings that will then precipitate a legitimate civil war wherein millions die and she has been tapped to be the 
time hopping assassin to eradicate the ideas that would lead to this moment from human history. Which started in 1988 with a bus driver, a line cook, and a... um... (laughs) Right. It's a... So... They, they they also kill like the crazy hermit dude who sends out this one leaflet of paper. <laughs> hey, to a lot of people. <laughs> and he's and got a mailing list, guys. Yeah, he, he's like got 25. a whole mailing list, and he's got one typewritten piece of paper <laughs> that I guess he sent, and which means he had to retype that paper like forty-eight <laughs> times. He would send it in. In auto or not autobiographies, you'd send it in biographies of the founding fathers to his adherents. All right, this is pretty dumb. <laughs> and then apparently, him, a line cook, a bus driver, and a concert pianist <laughs> were going to somehow lead to the the it, it, like the future deaths of millions. And who were the people who? Oh, oh, we forgot about, like, the stripper, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Right. The stripper. The woman who dies in front of them in 1988. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think that was a strip club, but yeah, that was... Well, that she was, was like, like a, a fetish performer Yeah, that was like a kink club. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I called her a stripper. Um, yeah, we forgot about that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and who else? Because in... in and then there's a college professor. Yeah. And then there's uh, the wife of the guy. And that's as many as I can remember. Yeah. I know that there must have been others, but I cannot recall them. So this movie has that Posits. going for it. It's a. <laughs> it's basically like, what if timothy mcveigh and the covenant the sword and the arm of the lord and all the crazy dudes in elohim city were super good at their their terroristic job and and were able to launch us into a civil war which seems difficult to comprehend (laughs) um I know that we constantly, you know, talk about in the wider culture, like, is America headed towards another civil war? But we have a standing national army. (laughs) And I just, even if parts of that army were to defect onto the side of not America, I just don't see it working out that well for them. And um, I'm just kind of lost. It's like, and also, like, just, just aside from how stupid this is on a plot level it's very hard for me to get behind the tone of this reveal because we constantly talk about the idea of like would you go back in time and kill baby hitler (laughs) which may be the concept of a of a movie from this decade (laughs) (laughs) And my whole thing with that is usually, why are you making me kill baby Hitler? Why wouldn't you allow me to maybe move Hitler baby to like another place or to, you know, like just influence him in ways that maybe his incredible oratorical skills could be used for something better than mass genocide, you know, like 
Why do we jump to death? Why do we believe that people are born evil and incapable of turning away from evil? And this movie doesn't wrestle with that at all. It's It treats this as like, oh, well, this is an overall good. And the second that she brings that up, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to clean up my act and I'm going to help you towards that insane goal of yours. I, I think it flubs even more like... Again, this is why I'd go back to the series idea. Like, I'm not saying it would have been easy, but if if politics would have been in the shape of this show from mm-hmm. the beginning, like instead of just these really hollow, here's some some police brutality background stuff. Like, here's you know his daughter asking like, why do they hate cops? Like, like all of that stuff is so it's paying lip service towards this huge <laughs> huge <laughs> huge revolution that's coming later well, and like i couldn't help but this is why i i feel slightly charitable towards this film because on some level like i think if this was given the time and the space to really be something different and actually be about this kind of uh, insurgency, like, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I, I maybe I, on some level, uh, this makes me insane that I think that there is a way that this insane ending could seem <laughs> satisfying in some fashion, even as it's morally <laughs> indefensible. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right, because so basically, like, this is always my favorite thing to do is like, you know, the tone of this, again, the tone of this movie is ultimately victorious because she talks to him and convinces him to become the man who will influence her to make this choice, you know, and I don't know how you as a grandfather exert that much goddamn power over your grandchild. Um, But she says, like, you know, you like basically uh you you told me to do this or like you you influenced me to make this choice and become this person and i just feel like uh there's like a whole other movie after this you know the sarah connor kind of thing but like the 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 kind of idiocy of this movie in its setup is there is light lip service paid like bokeem woodbine is like i'm not gonna become a detective because of my skin color and You know, they're looking for a black female subject. And so you see like a bunch of people who look nothing like the illustration getting like brought in to get their photo taken. And then she (laughs) dies. And then like nine years later, there's like a full on fucking riot because this one person died and was blamed for these things. And I'm just like, I can't track. You know, he says like he knows the truth that these people's anger is misplaced can't say anything really and he brings up like the idea of like these people who are like rallying against the cops who are the like you know civil manifestation of the power of the state are wrong (laughs) and i'm having trouble just even talking (laughs) through this because this movie is like these people are rightly marching against police brutality which is a real thing however the object of their present catalyzing anger is correct like was a quote-unquote good kill because it is a person who murdered 
five people just in 1988 alone and broke Bokeem Woodbine's leg. And also it was an accident. But he's like, I don't know, people will like complain about anything. So then my my part of my brain is like, oh, so is like he being catalyzed against the downtrodden minorities? Like, is he standing in for like the the systemic white man? But then he just becomes crazy. It becomes all about the fact that, oh my God, we forgot to mention that his wife died in labor that same night. And so it just becomes about like, if I stop this person, maybe I'll be there to watch my wife die sooner. Um, and I don't Michael know. C. Hall like, is also in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and I just like, I can't track it. Cause like those riots are people who would ostensibly be on the side of the girl who's running through time murdering people. Sure. So we're not even seeing like the uprising coming that is the thing that she is trying to stop, you know? Like the only mass mob violence that we see in this movie is a persecuted minority and they like light cop cars on fire and cause massive amounts of civil unrest. But then we're told that there is a secret substate, probably white supremacist movement that is going to sure. start a second American civil war through a bombing campaign. And I assume that we won. <laughs> <laughs> so no matter like, so it's not even like we're trying to stop. Like we're trying to stop. Like, it's not like <clears throat> if someone in the world of the handmaid's tale where the bad guys have won and there's like Gilead and everything now are like, sure. our one hope is to go back in time and stop that from ever happening. They are a a victorious force who's like, let's make our victory even more assured by going back in time and wiping out this idea altogether. But they do want to save. I mean, they want to save those lives that were lost. Yeah. Did they also go back and stop the terrorists who started 9-11? Like, you know, you know like, that, that's, that's what, is, like, what is the scale of lives lost that they are now trying? Like, and this is the other thing. She says, like. Uh, time travel is a one-way trip, but like, can't they just send back like seven different people to stop seven different tragedies? <laughs> I, I I do have a. I, Was the plan for her also to go back in time and murder the founding fathers? I don't know. That's a legitimate question, by the way. No, but it's like, it, yeah, it, no. It seems like 1988 is the earliest time. That's when racism started, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's when one man wrote one sheet that we see in this movie took one picture with an ar-15 and started racism which um right, this is pretty ridiculous <laughs> which is also crazy because uh that bus driver didn't look white to me and i don't know if that's just the way she was styled or what and i looked at the cast list and i could find no one named bus driver so I couldn't even, like, cross-reference the actress. Because, like, there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, like, I was going to say they're all white, but that bus driver did not present as white to me. But maybe I was just wrong. <laughs> but also, you know, they, they talk about, like, you know, wanting to surgically I mean, remove these people. Self, what was that? There are self-hating there are self-hating minorities as well. Like, that's... But here's the... Not. Okay, so, like, I... <sighs> 
That just you that, ask, man. I don't know. <laughs> that just makes it really difficult for me. Is just like you know, you you can say like a self hating minority, but like so then at a certain point, couldn't you say like everyone who's keeping us from reaching like some sort of communistic future is also like harmful to the country and so we should just go like purge republicans from the voting rolls through murder like because you can (laughs) you can then like justify that by saying oh these are people like voting against their own self-interest because they're self-hating like you can completely remove their agency from the equation by still making it about hatred you know but of themselves and so you're doing them even more a favor by killing them it's just, I wish that the movie, you know, Michael, in the way that you said, I almost wish that, like, this were, like, a four-season-long, like, plotted-out series, oh, and the first season could be about the murders, <laughs> and the second season could be about, I don't know, whatever the next thing would be, and then one season could be about the actual Civil War, and then the final season could be wrestling with the concept of, just because we can do this, does that mean that we should? Like, what is the net loss of making this choice because like that's what bugs me the most is that it's not even viewed as like a moral quandary that this guy has to go through you know it it just becomes this concept of oh this is a good thing you know like he's a fucking cop like does that mean he's never gonna investigate the murder of someone who's a racist yeah like what levels of of criminality is are you going to let slide just because you don't agree with the person who's dead? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am, I am curious on a basic level, whether you had a problem with the other film that does this idea, which one so, is that spoilers, spoilers for looper, obviously. Um, are, are you, I, I feel like you are, more tied up in this idea of you know the that uh, no single act of violence can um justify the the means like i feel like you are very tied up in the in that question of i don't know i get the sense that in no case would you be okay with this which i think is a more, uh, I don't know. I, I, so, I don't think that as many people would have such an objective view of that. I'm not saying I do. I, but I don't know. I'm just saying, I think some, on some level, your frustration with the final <laughs> climax of this does seem to come in part from a question of whether it justifies the means. I think that the the question of whether the ends justify the means is is always out there, you know, and that's that's what makes things like this interesting. But this movie has no interest in the most interesting part of it, you know, like and and the worst part is that the story itself does not support his final decision. You know, it's not like he thinks these people are innocent but then every nine years he learns more about them and discovers how terrible they are so that that also informs his willingness to let his granddaughter do this you know like yeah she just shows up and is like uh i guarantee you that these people were all racist and um 
we're going to create like an apocalyptic situation for us. And he was like, oh, okay. I think that the other problem just from a, a filmic standpoint is that it makes the rest of the movie extremely pointless. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, Here, but here's the thing. All of the chases. Michael, you, you brought up Looper, and I'm not sure which part of Looper you're talking about. Um, but yeah, like to, to discuss the plot of Looper, uh, Bruce Willis comes back because his wife is dead and because there's a guy named the Rainmaker who's like a terror and is yeah. like causing a lot of Should problems. Should we do a classic episode? Oh fuck. I we already I think we I think we talked about it on this podcast. I think that's one of those <laughs> movies that's old but not so old that it wasn't an actual review on this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That said, I'd be down to talk about it again. Um what was I going to say? But like so Bruce Willis comes back to murder children who he thinks might be the rainmaker. That's correct. Yes. R right. And and it ruins his soul. We see him come upon a child, point a gun, and then the next scene is him like having a full-on emotional breakdown because he cannot believe what he just did. Sure. Mm -hmm. And he is a bad guy in that movie because he is going to do it again. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as young Bruce Willis, again, spoilers for Looper, turns his gun on himself and kills himself because, and this is where I don't have a problem with Looper's morality the way I have a problem with this movie's morality. He even says, I saw a child scared who was going, and I saw a mom willing to kill herself to protect him. And I saw his anger and his sadness rippling forward and destroying everything. And so I stopped it. And then he kills himself Bruce mm -hmm. Willis disappears. This kid's mom has him safe and he doesn't become the man who would become the Rainmaker. Mm -hmm. Sure. That is a thoughtful, morally reckoned look at time travel and the concept of the ends justifies the means. Here Bruce we're in this film, we are can only go on what we're told by, uh, I can't remember the killer's name. Yeah, <laughs> by the killer. Uh, Raya. Sure. Yes. Uh, is that, that, that what you're saying? Gonna, that this is going to work, right? Yes. And yes. and yeah, that's that's a nice little neat bow. And, and that's the whole problem with this film is that it doesn't have that grand finale that Looper kind of shot shot for the moon for you know i mean that that kind of dramatic stake could have fallen on its face um and ultimately like that movie didn't do that well like commercially but critically i think it was it was very well received and yeah you know it's it's hard to make an original hard r film um these days without like giant movie stars and i guess bruce willis just doesn't doesn't carry that kind of weight anymore um, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, this, this movie should be reaching for that kind of grand theory. And then they have the fucking audacity to th like show us the, uh, the three pointed like flag or whatever the fuck falling down from, from Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, downtown Philadelphia. And I was just like, really, really? You and had what's, to, you what's weird put about that, that in is there? you see that in the first scene. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, so like this is clearly a movie about someone traveling through time to stop a a um like a kind of takeover of America, you know, mm -hmm. or like, you know, yeah. I figured it was like 
Trump's America turns into literally Donald Trump's America TM. And he like has like remade the flag or some shit, you know? But then you mm-hmm. find out that that explosion that we see is the first opening salvo of what become a guerrilla civil war. Mm-hmm. Which means that that flag wasn't like on top of the building as a sign of the nation, but was in the truck. I guess, or maybe <laughs> on top of the building, maybe. But why maybe... would it, like they went on top of the building, like raised their own flag and then blew up the building? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Right, because that was my thing. It's like if if like this is an easy fix that makes the morality still fucked up, but a little easier to follow. Let's let's focus on if the bad people won the war Mm -hmm. and took over America, then you are a scrappy group of rebels who were trying to right a wrong of history. It is the Terminator thing all over Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. If, however, you are the victorious nation. And you send people back so that the revolution never even happens. That just is a little weird to me. I mean, it would be the same as America sending people back to kill Hitler, right? Wait, but again, again, like, and and I know that we we keep coming back to that. But like, my thing is, again, why, why kill Hitler? Why not try to do something else? Like, why not? attempt literally anything else because like, <laughs> you know the the whole idea of even that functioning as something that can work a is cocoa bananas but also b a lot of you know they've 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 theorized this stuff kind of out and out and a lot of times it's one of those situations where okay if you don't do something dramatic then something else is just going to take its place, right? And mm-hmm. so maybe Hitler no longer is the leader that incites that kind of uh, violence and, and history. Um, maybe someone else does. And so then you're back to square one again, right? Um, but no, like... I want to focus on something else because because that that plot mechanic is a it's dumb but b they don't really do anything and don't really talk about it in any kind of intelligent way they just mm-hmm. don't do anything with it. Um, why the fuck do they need radioactive isotopes that then they can all kill these people all at once? What the fuck is that? And and what does it mean that they're killing them at once? That doesn't make any sense. They're in different timelines. You can't kill them all at once if they're in different timelines. What the fuck is this movie? Why why is that even a thing? <laughs> this was that a, seems so like the- such a that seems like such a superfluous like, oh, we can't track this killer, except they gave this killer one fucking thing that makes people hone in on them. Like, if it was a gunshot, these people, or a, a poison, right? This would just be like, oh, crazy random <laughs> people getting poisoned. Like, this is wild, right? Right. And then, and then nine years later, maybe it happens again. But, like, you know, uh, I think it's... Um, uh, Michael C. Hall's character, who at some point is like, "Do you know how many murders happened this week? Like, I had fifty-four murders this week. Like, what are you talking to me about? Like this, 
these four people that died 10 years ago or right, nine exactly. years ago. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's insanity. It, Michael and I kind of got hung up on this and almost had a full podcast before this podcast even began because of this very question where it's like, why are you using the most conspicuous method of murder? Yes. Yeah. It doesn't like, and it's not even like, it's not even as though it's like, well, I can do this and then I'm not being chased by the police until the bodies start dropping, you know? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Because you still have to stab someone in the back of the neck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not slipping some shit into their coffee. They they literally get a call from one of the victims because she's like, some broad came up and hit me in the back of the neck with something. News flash. Archery was invented like a thousand years ago. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. Go back like, and catch these people. But like, yeah. that's the crazy thing is that. So this one woman is like, I don't know. This this woman came up and hit me in the back of the neck with something. And what's going to happen to me? Why didn't the fry cook? The bus driver. The 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 professor. The concert pianist. Were they all like, oh, man, someone just came and hit me in the back of the neck with something. But I guess I'm OK. Yeah, no, like, and and then and then the balls of those two police officers to know what has happened to all the other people that their brain fucking melts out of their skull to then just calmly talk to this lady. I was like, you guys are a bunch of assholes. Right, go get her some dialysis <laughs> or something. Like y'all need to rush her to the ER right now. Put some earplugs in, close her nose, keep her brain in her head. <laughs> but that's the other crazy thing. You could, you have the ability to travel through time. You have so many other things that you could do. Why do you need to make it something that explodes their fucking eyeballs? You know, why not make no. it something that has them have a heart attack? Yeah, like why I said. pick the most conspicuous and insane way to murder someone? Why not? You have to, you have to come up with a way to make it about serial killers. Like you have to, you, you need to. I don't know. It's not as flashy to just shoot them. <laughs> but here's the thing: what if? And I'm not. I hate, I hate rewriting movies, even though I'm fucking amazing at it, Hollywood. But why not make it that she is shooting them or stabbing them, but is using an incorrect time-like element, you know, like, yes. Well, and, and we've seen this before. Uh, that was something that wasn't actually in, uh, the Batman versus Superman. Is that what I'm thinking? What's, what's the one that had like the, yeah, the Zack Snyder director's cut, right? Um, there oh God, was we're talking a about Snyder cut. Yes, we are talking about the Snyder Cut. Um, so there was a plot device where basically these uh, these super military dudes shoot up this village, right? And they kill a bunch of people, and then they plant it that Superman was actually the one that did it, so that then he can be brought to justice. Oh, right. right? They use like, some sort of weird bullet that she discovers is like only been it's not even like on the market yet or something. Exactly. So it's right. a super fucking conspicuous bullet that they all used and tracks it back to Lex Luthor. And right. it's like that's a dumb, 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 dumb plan. And he, right, like, it's, it's, maybe just use regular bullets. Right. Like, why, why why can't you why are you're murdering someone, just use a regular bullet. But like, yeah. you know how like if I went back to the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. 
almost everything on me and about me would mark me as not of that time. Sure, you know? they could do radioisotope like dialysis or uh, analysis on the bullet and then realize what the fuck this bullet is from 1970. How do you right. know that? Because or it's like we a special type radio of active activity of it. And it's, you know, we know present day is this gamma 1970 was this gamma. And now it's like, Oh, Whoa, that's crazy. Or like, or like you, a, you, it's even simpler than that. Like just say like, this is a, this is a brand of bullet that we've never seen yeah. from like a, you know, and the, the rifling on the barrel is weird. Like, you know, and then, so, so here, this, this solves a number of problems. One, it's insane that no one believes him when the method of murder is so weird. You know, like the if, other if, thing, if a guy walks up and says every nine years, randomly, some people's brains start melting like that's some fucking shit like that's going to cause a panic. Now, why, if, it's just, he... if it's just that okay. these bullets are slightly different from normal bullets, then people can be like. You know, the warping when it hits the human body, the heat differences, sure, sure, like, sure. and then his paranoia and his isolation makes more sense. You know, mm-hmm. like, think about it for 12 seconds. Why is it super important that you already have the the doctor, Rao, creating time travel? Why does he also have to invent a murderous isotope? I don't understand why he started mer- making that to begin with. What the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> Like what? Why he wanted he an effective see- way to kill pigs <laughs> <laughs> from a distance. Um, the other and the, okay, thing- wait, wait. Before we move on, just talking about him and the pigs. The best part is that he's like, "All right, I'm injecting the isotope into the subjects, and you know, hit the thing, and it's like, and then the pigs fall over, and it's like, all right, great, great. You know, brain disintegration, which is super important because just murdering them <laughs> isn't enough. And then he says, yeah. once we bond the chrono isotope." We'll be able to activate this throughout time. And it's like, really? You're going to explain the brain melting one, but you're not going to explain the chrono one? <laughs> it would make more sense if they all die in like the week before 2024 or something like that. Right. Um, maybe maybe that's what they're trying to do is they inject them and then over time they wait until a specific moment and then they kill them all. But it seems like she is killing them literally the day that she's there. Right. And so it's just like the spree of murders that happens all right, during spread that it day. Out a little bit. If you even just yeah. waited like two years, <laughs> you know, like, is it so important that they die immediately? As Michael keeps saying, 1988, that one night was very important. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, like, like if you wait, you know, a a couple of years and then they die in this gruesome, weird, crazy way. Okay. And then how are they going to trace that back? Like, they're not going to, they're not going to see those puncture wounds anymore. Uh, or give the wounds some time to heal, you know, or just like, maybe one of them will take a trip and they won't all. Cause again, now this is something I like. Racism is entirely centered in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, like huh. it's just, it's just like no in Toronto. <laughs> it, yeah, right. The Philadelphia section of Toronto. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes from BoJack Horseman is when he's like, "Here, I'll show you the the Toronto backlot. It's where they shoot everything that's supposed to take place in New York." <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's just weird because, like, again, it is. He's like, we didn't see this one guy, like the actual dude who typed this shit, because he wasn't in our, he wasn't in our jurisdiction. He was thirty minutes outside of the city. Uh huh. But like, like everyone else, it, apparently lives in the city. Like Philadelphia is the hotbed of the Patriot movement. Uh, you which know, they it, also it is, it is what it is. They they hedge <laughs> their bets too much by not really delving into the actual beliefs of this oh. group. Well, because you don't want to cause an actual inciting riot, do you, Brian? I don't know. We didn't let the hunt come out. (laughs) Like, that's the crazy thing is that Donald Trump looked at the trailer of the hunt, which he probably only saw 20 minutes of on Fox News while Fox News was bitching about it. And the hunt was about locals taking the power back and murdering the elites who wanted to murder them. Like, that is a red state power fantasy, if, like, the trailer's to be believed. And this movie is legitimately saying, we need to go back and murder everyone who's ever read the Turner Diaries. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other crazy thing is that Boyd Holbrook um, does all of this research and goes cocoa bananas. But right before he finds, like, all of this stuff out... He is like uh, approached by the doctor. Is his name Samir? I believe. No, it's it's. I think it's Naveen Rao. Naveen yeah. Rao. Naveen okay. Rao. Um, uh, he approaches him and is like, "Hey, check this out. I think time travel is involved." And they had just watched a video where they were like, "We didn't tell anybody about her hand." Why is her hand bandaged? And then they were like, could this be the girl that's back? And, and, and right. they were about to leave. Bokeem Woodbine even says, you think she didn't die when we literally yeah. saw her carted away in pieces. And they just found a, a key to a model of airplane that didn't exist when they found it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Oh, man, so, like, we didn't even get to that. We like <laughs> what the fuck? So and the thing like, is, that's one of those smart things that you and I were talking about, Bill. Is that key that yeah. on, idea of you have something out of time, but it's a mundane thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I did like the thing about her getting shot in the hand. I was like, oh, okay, 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 cool, 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 cool. We're gonna we're gonna see that at some point, and then we see it. Right. And Why does like, he have okay. his service revolver if he's no longer on the force? <laughs> uh, you, uh, well, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's one of those technical questions of uh, how do you become a detective? You you poke your nose around and everything, right? And you go you go uh, around. You circumvent every rule and regulation you have as a police force. Yeah, that's what you do. Um, uh yeah no uh so yeah they just realized that they they were like their big idea was like maybe it's a prototype of a plane like eight years in the future that she just randomly happened to have like no fuck you guys and then this guy is like hey time travel maybe and they're like go fuck yourself we gotta go check out this eight-year-old plane that does that shouldn't exist (laughs) that we have the keys to you know it's like uh that seemed like a like a very obvious thing to be like 
let's let's talk. Let's talk before you go create this murderous isotope, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy thing is I'm like, this guy can't just, like, he has to take part somewhere later on, right? But, like, why didn't he reach out to... Because he is a man moving through time at the same speed as Boyd Holbrook. So exactly. why, when he realized what was happening, did he not, at some point during the intervening, like, 18 years, try to reach out to him and be like, and I think I know what's going he, on? How the fuck does he know that that she's killing people, like... Is he a detective too? Well, the other thing is, he says, "What like when I spoke to you that night, I finally realized that it must be my technology that I was working on." So he's been working on this a while, but how does he know that she's doing it at his behest? I don't know. You no, know, it's like the the Winchester widow. You know, it was like I have to make this crazy ass house because people are using my mm-hmm. guns to kill people in ways that I never imagined they would. Like you know, you can have a thing that you make get fucked by people using it incorrectly. Also, is he with the government or is he is is this like a NASA situation where the United States said like Lockheed, you know, Boeing, you have to help us get to the moon? Or is this as though Steve Jobs was like, you know who I never liked? Racists. I'm going (laughs) to invent an iPod to send us back in time to murder racists. Yeah, is he a freelancer? Michael Snydell just made the <laughs> saddest noise. I mean, did you see his facility? It's pretty fucking awesome. Right, it so, did not look like a government facility. Oh, well, yeah, that that was definitely a privately funded facility. Yeah, yeah I uh, okay, I, I, I agree with that. But my thing was... How government doesn't did, hire architects like that. Okay, yeah, but how the fuck did he get that much money that was going to be my point i mean he invents was, time travel he could probably make like a cool little disc man you know back in 84 in a clear bathosphere that looks like yeah <laughs> it reminded I imagine- me of um a thing that happened at the end of the leftovers mm-hmm. if anyone has seen that there's this there's this general sci-fi concept of like you have to be in like an enclosed thing and flooded with liquid to like keep your lungs from exploding or something mm. okay but also, yeah. like, yeah, good good on them for finding that, like, seaside cove with a cave that is, like, so perfect and has, like, a hole above it so that, like, natural sunlight can stream down. Mm-hmm. They found right, it, guys. Okay, so we didn't even talk about the fact that the twist, quote-unquote, comes because she is an African-American woman and he is a white man. And the second that she started talking about pancakes and stuff, I was like, oh, this is why... It was such like a big deal because I thought they finally just gave him some non-essential character when she talked about her boyfriend, George. And he said, oh, I can't wait to meet him. And she's like, you've met him twice. You know, I thought that was just not having a shitty boyfriend, by the way. (laughs) And and he mentions he mentions, of course, oh, the football player. Right. (laughs) Which he has to be black. And the football player, and then and then you see him, and you're like, the football player. You're like, oh, I guess he's, I guess he's a receiver because <laughs> very slight build on him. A, a very small high school, maybe. <laughs> so here's the thing. So so he, I thought that was just like, oh, he's an idiot and can't remember his his daughter's boyfriend. Like you know, that's just how removed he is. And then nine years later, she's like. Yeah, the baby's due today. George and I talked about we really want you to be here. I'm like, she's still with fucking George? (laughs) (laughs) You met in goddamn high school. 
He's yep. like good on you. Like that's a stay in power fucking relationship. You know, like there's a part of me that wants to be this is shitty writing. And then there's a part of me that says, why should I believe that true love is like not possible? You know, it's heartwarming. <laughs> it's a little nice that like they started in high school and he was a football player and was going to the college, but he they stuck it out and they made it. You know, I don't know if he like went pro or something, but like, it's just nice. But so the reason that we never saw him and the reason they brought him up at all is because he is an African-American man. And so they have their, their, you know, mixed race presenting as, as African-American daughter so that there can be a twist where it's like, oh, you thought this was just some random black girl killing people. It's his granddaughter. And this is the part where I need to play a clip from the Nightingale episode, uh, episode 359, with our uh, guest, uh, Jordan Searles. And uh, if it works, it should come up right where I want it to. Totally fine with both of these characters referring to themselves as birds or being referred to as birds. But if at any point they're like, we're going to make a flock of our own, <laughs> I'm going to be furious. Oh, no, no. Like, I hate the I'm so glad that it didn't end on this idea that like, oh, my God, <laughs> their mixed race children will save the world oh. because I hate that shit. Yeah. And I say that as a person in an interracial relationship that I hate that shit. Like, I just <laughs> hate that shit. So... <laughs> Just wanted to play that. <laughs> we didn't have a guest this episode, but in her own way, Jordane Searles, your spirit is with us right now. I hate that shit. Because she was talking about it in a metaphorical sense. Where like, uh -huh. oh, the bond of these two, you know, characters of different races represents a brighter hope for the future. <laughs> hope for the future. I don't think she in her wildest dreams could have imagined that Nary a month later, we would be talking about a movie where a mixed race baby legitimately saves the world <laughs> through time travel to kill racists. Oh, boy. This is a movie. I mean, that's what you said, Michael. This is a movie. Like, there's a part of me that's kind of happy that shit like this can still get made. But then there's a party that wishes that it was made by people who are willing to put some thought into things. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually like uh, Mickle. I, I hope people give this other stuff a, a shot. It's but see, that's the crazy thing good. is that, like, I see nothing in this movie worth liking. Like, on a construction level. Like, he doesn't seem to have, like, interesting tonal or aesthetic choices you know it's not even like he has like a signature camera move where it like flips over to show you that things have gone a little topsy-turvy like this just oh feels boy. like a like a mid like a mid-run x-files episode but without the good music and without fox Mulder. <sighs> but bokeem would buy <laughs> You know, it's just like everyone who of value in this movie just feels stranded in it. Like, Bakeem Woodbine seems almost as confused by his character as we are. Boyd yeah. Holbrook, you know, gets no opportunity to build a character here. Michael mm -hmm. C. Hall, you know, just whatever the fuck <laughs> is going on with that voice. <laughs> it's really just, it's really kind of sad. This is a movie where a man escapes from being tied up in the back of a van by using the dead tusk of a pig to cut through the bindings 
and, and I then still what can't is, find anything good about this. What is what does the doctor dude do? He decides, you know what? Nobody needs to drive this vehicle. <laughs> I'm gonna jump after you. And my girlfriend, my fiance, sorry, um, edit that, uh, double it. No, uh, time, no, no, wait, Bill, you can't steal bits from blank check. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, anyways, humble brag. She said, "What? Why did he do that?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> Yeah, he. I, I was like, really? He just leapt into the back. He's like, I'm going to stop you. Huzzah. And then like the car is flipping and the pigs are flipping. And I'm just sitting there like, this should be a lot more fun than it is. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy that sequence of the car flipping. Uh, I think those pigs, like my fiance mentioned, uh, should have ran into one of them and just smushed the fuck out of them. Because Why were the that's pigs definitely- in the back of the van? I don't know. What like he but, we just saw him murder those pigs, right? And then yeah. he's like, uh oh, like Boyd Holbrook's on the beach. And he's like, uh oh, I'm gonna stop him. Charles, put the pigs in the van. <laughs> I need to take the pigs to where Boyd Holbrook is. Maybe I can talk him into having a luau with me. You can't <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. Uh I don't know. But uh, yeah, he he definitely sees that like this guy has a gun now and he's like well fuck it i guess this is my life now i'm gonna jump after you and not drive this vehicle anymore like he he could have jumped out of the side of the vehicle and then boyd holbrook would have been fucked either way (laughs) yeah right uh but no instead he's like nah i and it's like I don't know like maybe maybe he he trains in in hand-to-hand combat on the side but like holbrook's a former police officer right i but think this at is that the part where he's, he's like he's still riddled with alcoholism officer. right okay okay but like i think i think he should be able to know how to do hand-to-hand combat still and so i'm like y- you don't just like you're a scientist dude right like we haven't gotten any background that you can like do hand-to-hand combat so you think you're going to be able to wrestle a gun away from this dude well look boyd holbrook should be like he you know he'd just been knocked out you know he dug up a corpse earlier that day he's had a busy day maybe he's tired (laughs) you never know i don't don't know um that was wild to me i was just like well he just jumped after him. Yeah, it was like abandoned the pretense that this vehicle needs to be driven at all. That's like my favorite. Also, my favorite thing in like, any movie is when someone you know has a gun pointed at their head while they're in a car, and then they're mm-hmm. just like, "Well, I'll show you. I'm a fucking crash this car." Like I love when someone's like, "I'm gonna fuck myself up, but I'm going to bank on the idea that you're gonna get fucked up worse." Mm-hmm. And this guy took it to a whole new level. <laughs> well, the other thing is, I don't know if anybody notice knows this, but when you take the foot off of a gas pedal, generally the car just kind of slows down a little bit. So, <laughs> like, I, well, this was a time car filled with pigs. <laughs> it shouldn't run into a tree at full speed. Uh, it should be slowly running into a tree maybe at that point i don't know i don't know how long they've been tussling but uh they definitely like run into that tree at like a thousand miles per hour it yeah. seems like so. maybe he had it on cruise control <laughs> his foot was getting tired from a full day of killing pigs um Pressing i also just want to like so this is something else that um this came up during our black Klansman episode 
Mm. And it's just something that annoys me because we seem to be at an impasse as a society with how to talk about and represent people who we deem to be at once laughable and pathetic, but also an imminent threat to our entire national fabric. Um, in Black Klansmen, the Klan group that is shown is supposed to be dangerous enough to warrant this entire investigation and possibly willing to blow up a house, but also filled with a bunch of chuckle-fuck yokels who are stupid as fuck. In this movie, they've got this guy who is, you know, the 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 writer of that single typewritten sheet of paper that he mails to people in a book. And they, like, have to show him snorting cocaine while he's writing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of annoying and i just feel like if it is if, if shout out to all my cokeheads out there right i'm not saying a cokehead can't get shit done you know because we know martin scorsese proved long ago that he can <laughs> but it's just Stephen king yeah <laughs> like you know it's just i just hate it when they're like so this guy's a racist who's advocating genocide, I guess. Even though, again, we don't get to hear... I don't think that character ever speaks, you know? I don't think there's, like, a word spoken about what his actual beliefs are. But how do we, I don't know, knock him down a peg? And it's like, what if we have him just snort cocaine? And it's like, oh, that's perfect. Because then you know he's bad. <laughs> I just I just can't wrap my mind around it. Like... There's the movie, The Standoff at Sparrow Creek, which I talked about earlier, and I have an article written about on my personal site. And that's a movie that is about a lot of the things that this movie is ostensibly about. It's about this concept of, like, the patriot and militia movements. It's a a look at, like, the amoral ways that might be, like, useful and effective at dealing with these movements, but that also put our own ethical souls at hazard you know but it takes it seriously and looks at these people as people and like each member of that militia seems to come from a different way that someone would be brought into this this thing you know this this movement as they call it and it's so much better for the fact that it doesn't immediately say these are all just a bunch of idiots who are doing cocaine And sitting at typewriters, you know, like what the most interesting part of this movie is the concept that somehow an acclaimed pianist is is instrumental to the eventual uprising that will threaten millions of American lives. But that's not looked at at all. And this once again goes into the concept that Michael was talking about of how this could benefit from like a serialized television thing. Because it's hard for me to understand the dichotomy of the way that people think about these movements when all i see is like overweight line cook bus driver and like fetish performer because those are you know i don't want to say they're marginalized but they're not looked up at you know (laughs) it seems punching down to like full-on fucking murder those people the only person who really strikes me as interesting is that concert pianist because classical arts like that are generally seen as a bastion of like liberal thinkers so it's just it's just weird that like this movie is like okay we're gonna throw in like a high class high status person but we're never gonna talk about it and we're gonna have the guy snort cocaine 
just to prove that on top of being a racist, he's also like morally bankrupt through his addiction. The other weird thing that I didn't realize that this this film does, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or if he was just so fixated on showing the gore and the brutality of these people dying, but each one of the shots of the three people that die initially that we see, it focuses in on them. When there's very much people around them that are like screaming and going bananas, but you never see them. So my initial thought was, oh my God, a ton of people are bleeding out and dying like this right now. Like I thought it was some kind of bacterial thing or, you know, something, some kind of poison <clears throat> in the air. Yeah. Which also is why like she covers her mouth. Which yeah, I thought keeps... was a weird thing, and I, I was like, "But only in the like, first oh. timeline. Mm-hmm. Only, mm-hmm. only in 1988, where she's like, I'm going to pull this thing over my face.' And I kept thinking, like, "Oh, is that her prepping to do some cool shit?" But like, mm-hmm. aside from running over the police car, you know, that's which was it. kind of okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind fine. Of. I could probably do yeah. it, not like yeah. as well. Yeah, and I'd cause a lot more damage. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, just was, like I thought, I thought they, that was interesting because I was like, "Is he not showing us the the crowd's reaction because we're supposed to believe that maybe this is a bacterial thing, or is literally he's just so focused on the gore that that's what I think it's a focused is. on the gore stylistic choice thing where he's like, mm. "What if we like, and maybe like you just he just had, didn't have enough." extras you know like this is a legitimate <laughs> thing because the the imdb page for this yeah. is like 32 people and again i don't i don't even know that i can pick out pick out the bus driver to to answer my question about what her her ethnic background is um it's just weird to me it's weird to me that again we, we're clearly in this moment where and i've been talking about the dangers of these so-called like militia and patriot movements for a while um, because they're a thing that I started researching one day and found them to be super interesting and also very terrifying because they are the, they're the idea of like a lone wolf closed cell, you know, threat, foreign and domestic kind of idea that is literally happening right now in the eighties, white supremacist groups had bank robbing rings to fund they're like training camps and stuff like the this is some real ass shit and it bums me out that while they are finally getting looked at in a meaningful way quote unquote we're still finding ourselves not wanting to give them the benefit of the doubt for how dangerous they are you know like we're not willing to show them as people of competence you know people who who think about this shit a lot and go out of their way to do it well you know like a lot of times when we talk about them we make it seem like these domestic terror acts were like a, a happy accident for them that they were almost too stupid to do it right and so it's just like oh well they got one but like there's still a bunch of idiots but like this movie literally has someone trying to stop a second civil war so clearly, in whatever way this movie is talking about them, they are deemed to be a na- a threat on a national level that would not be wiped out in, like, you know, uh, the way that we wiped out, like, 
Iraq during like the first Gulf War. You know, that makes them a more formidable ally than the Republican Guard of Iraq in 1991 or something like and we're still not able to just have them be like not a character not like a cartoon it's just it's weird we need to get over that like arlington road did a better job of looking at these than this movie did than than most movies you know and that was that was fucking 20 years ago i don't know and i don't know why that annoys me so much i know i brought it up during black klansman and now i'm bringing it up again because it just seems weird that you're making a movie for an audience and you decide to make these patriot movements, these militia movements that are almost uniformly in some way, you know, racially or nationalistically tinged. And you, you, you're not willing to, you almost don't like to admit that you're afraid of them. You know, it's like, you have to laugh at them, even though you're pretty sure that they're going to murder you and your family. Maybe because you don't want them to know how scared you are of them. Maybe because you don't want to admit how fragile your life is that it could be taken out by someone with a high school education and a gun. But that person isn't an idiot just because they don't conform to like your concept of what like a high class, high profile threat should be. Well, I remember when the Dallas police officer shootings happened Mm -hmm. and which by the way, very hits very close to home. Um, I remember people watching video of the gunman and being like, look, he's trained. He knows how to like, like lead a, an officer to think he's going to go on one side of the column into another side. And like, they were like, clearly this guy is a, a false flag you know, trained operative. And it was like, or he's a competent human being that happens to have some military background. And so he was radicalized and decided to kill a bunch of people. Right. Timothy McVeigh was a Marine, I think, or in the army. I think he was like going to train to be a green beret. Like the, the, like the, the FBI has pointed out numerous times that these groups recruit from the military because we've trained people to kill We have given Mm -hmm. them the idea of this country that is worth fighting and dying for. And then as soon as they're out, we give them nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have a, 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 uh, I feel like I'm about to like flip out, but like our society doesn't respect the, the, the wars that these people are going to as much as, you know, we used to back in the day when we did actually fight like better quote unquote, more like morally motivated wars than whatever this fucking forever war morass we're in now is. But like, that still seems to give people like free reign to sometimes shit on troops. And so they have nowhere to go. They have no support system because the VA is fucked. And, um, so then they join these militia movements where they have people who agree with them and understand them and can, uh, subtly manipulate them into being like, well, the reason the VA is underfunded is because the minorities are taking all your like money for welfare. So you have a bunch of highly trained, highly motivated people who fought and died and watched their friends die for their country. And now they're looking at their country, turning their back on them and wondering if they should attempt to, quote, take their country back, end quote. These are real threats. These are real people. 
They have concepts and ideas that are horrible and wildly mismatched. And I just hate it when these movies treat them like they're just a bunch of fucking idiots drunk on Budweiser who hate people because they look different. <laughs> I don't even know what, how we got here. I don't know why I'm so bad right now. Michael, you kept seeming like you were trying to say something. Did you have something to add? No. I, yeah, no. I, I don't think I've seen something that I think does handle this well. I... I, I didn't particularly like that one you were talking about. Uh, Arlington Road? The, uh, no, the other one. The, the one Creek? from this year. Yeah. I Because I, I, there was the fucking Joker kid. But. Uh, the Joker yeah, kid? No, oh, it, wait. The, the younger guy who was like. Yeah. I, I just. It was very hard to take parts of that movie seriously for me. But I, I think that is a, a very. To put a cap on it and just kind of co-sign what you're saying. I think that's a. A very reasonable thing to say that so often when it comes to extremists, uh, it's 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 easy to, it's easy to make them extreme. <laughs> like it's it's very rare that we see them as genuine human beings unless it's something like a character study, you know, something like day night, day night. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's frustrating and it's it's very easy. Um, and I, I don't think I, I mean, that's perhaps why I like how fallible the kids of Nakturama are and how how much they like, you know, don't have the courage of their convictions or they they have the courage of their convictions in a very self-conscious way. Yeah. <laughs> like like I think that is a lot more interesting than, yeah, something like Black Klansman, which you know, I have a whole host of other problems with, but whatever. Um, I, I think what you're saying is very reasonable and is, you know, I, I think it's more also like this is like the 25th problem <laughs> with this movie. Yeah. Like there's so many other I feel like we've really hammered this movie things. a lot and I just got onto this and it's something I've been thinking <laughs> about recently because – you know, again, it's just it's just weird to me that we like we as a society can't be like these are the people who scare us and this they they're like we're not we're not wrong to feel that way or like you know, I I understand the concept of like satire as a way of cutting down your energy your enemies to rob them of your power. Yeah. But you can't It's like if every movie that ever featured um a Muslim or Arab terrorist was pitched at the same level as True Lies where sure. like the battery in the camera runs out and they like, yeah. don't know what to do about it. Like it's just somehow even more weird and offensive to, to make them bumbling idiots like that. But a counterpoint, remember when there was the jet fighter and <laughs> <You're fired. laughs> yeah. Oh, and man. that happened. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, I really like the standoff at Sparrow Creek, like I said, because it looks at these things and these people and, and I feel like if you're having a movie that's talking about these things, you should attempt to talk about them in an intelligent way. And I don't even know if I can like bring that to bear on this movie because for the longest time, I just thought this was a stupid fucking movie, but then it brings up this concept of like a race war. <laughs> started by patriot militia movement people blowing up federal buildings and i'm just like well now we have to care you know <laughs> you're so angry about having to care 
because it's not a good movie. It's like it's bad. If it's bad in all the ways that a movie can be bad, it's it's not well made. It's not well paced. It's not well written. And then it just does that. And I'm like, oh, for the love of Christ. Like, you know, again, it's and it's not even like a function of the budget. Like you can work around a budget. You know, how much did the standoff at Sparrow Creek cost? That movie looked fucking beautiful. And this movie, again, looks like Flash Forward. <laughs> you are about this. I, I don't really have anything to add. I don't think Bill does either. We're both just like, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. I've, I've, I've reached the edge. <laughs> now that I've gone on my, you know, if you're going to portray the militia movement, please, for the love of God, like, have the courage of your convictions to, like, not try to undercut your own fear and worry about them. I think I'm done. Sure. This is not what I thought we were going to have to talk about when I heard about this movie. You know, I thought we were going to talk about like mini <laughs> genre directors, like mashing up stuff. Yeah, I thought this would be like a super easy conversation. And instead, <laughs> we've had to like dance our way around race, sectarian, racially motivated violence, the ethics of preemptively murdering people who you disagree with for crimes they haven't committed yet. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty weird. <laughs> there was another movie um, that we talked about at some point, and I said that it, it's not as good as a movie, but it's fun to talk about. It would almost be better if you just wrote out like a three sentence description of it and then said, what would you do? And like, you know, made it a party game. Killing of a sacred deer. Yes, I think that was it. Yeah, where it's just like you have this idea and this concept and you don't illustrate it well. But it, it makes, like, for a good conversation starter. And so, like, if someone sees this movie, you know, just write it down on a card and bring it to a next party you're at and just be like, so I have a moral quandary for you people. <laughs> Let's assume that in 1988, like, you know, just do that. You know, I don't know. I, I fucking apologize to anyone who listened to this whole episode. I feel like I don't even know if we made any sense. We don't usually, so it's okay. Has it been good? Like, should I just delete this? <laughs> My concern is that this is going to be one of those episodes where I get yelled at for supporting white supremacy by some people, and other people yell at me for being like a cucked snowflake lib tard. Well, <laughs> Which I'm just going to yell at you for saying that. <laughs> it's going to be like when Mike Snydell wrote the fucking review of Vice, and no one knew what to be mad at him about. But everyone was mad at him. I still don't know what that guy was mad about. <laughs> I, I have no idea whether he was liberal or conservative. I still I, uh, have no idea. We spent like a good 10 minutes line by line going over that comment in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times. All right. So legitimately, any other thoughts or ideas or comments on this movie? <laughs> Let's get out of here. Right, Bill is eating food. <laughs> Again, stealing a bit from blank check. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I I think I concur. Ding dong. No, oh, we're not doing that. Um, yeah, so it's over. Next week, we're going to be talking about certainly the much less fraught <laughs> Joker. <laughs> My concern is that whoever we have on an, as a guest for Joker, right? We're going to have to tell them to watch this movie, too, first, because I just feel like my concern is that I'm going to partially love Joker because it will, in fact, do the thing that I was telling this movie that it should have done, which is to take its 
pathetic, emasculated, like male characters or like, you know, seeming majority characters who self marginalize until they become terrorists more seriously. You know, and it's just going to prove the opposite to be true, where it's like you took it too seriously. Now I think that you agree with them. Brian, you need to raise your bar just a little bit. That bar is too low. I just, you, you should be able to do the limbo under your bar. I, I think I, I don't know. I, we'll see what the Joker does. But like, again, it's just, it's going to be weird because like coming off of this movie, I just like, you know, Joker was going to be the movie that was like, well, this is the craziest thing and like the most possibly morally complicated thing that I've seen all year just because of like maybe the ham fistedness or something. But then it's like, here comes this little movie called In the Shadow of the Moon, which again, I was almost certain was going to be a werewolf movie. Oh, fuck. Anyway, um, that's it. Uh, In the Shadow of the Moon on Netflix now. Give it a look if you, you know, have two hours that you don't mind wasting. <laughs> um, t- what else? Uh, find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show. If you did see this movie and have thoughts, email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. Look in your feeds later this week. We're going to have a classic episode up. Yes, we are doing those again, and we will hopefully be able to do many more of them soon. And uh, movie. We are brought to you by movie, M-U-B-I.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial, where you can see a bunch of fantastic films such as The Bread Factory Part 1 for the sake of gold, uh, just in time for the Halloween season, which seems to happen earlier and earlier every year, just like Hooptober, which starts in September somehow. That's Lords of Salem. So if you're doing Hooptober, Lords of Salem, right there for you to do. And then, of course, you've got What is an Auteur, this time with Ken Loach. My name is Joe and Sweet Sixteen. And uh, don't forget that the color wheel just left. <laughs> Such <Great>. a dick. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash filmstateshow to give us your money. And uh, that's about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's I think that's it. Anyone and it's like, you know, anyone's got like a final idea, a final concept, a final thought before we tell them where we're found? Good, good, great. All right, let's no. tell the fine people where you can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. Uh, you can definitely find me on Netflix finding something more entertaining to watch at CableBFG on Twitter and then also missing, mixing it up on the Slack channel. Yeah, you know, this movie's two hours. That's like six episodes of Frasier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or two episodes of Succession. Oh, yeah, Succession's on tonight. Uh, or, you know, like two episodes of Ozark, which I've mm-hmm. uh, recently started rewatching. Oh, um, nice. It's a good, I, I like that show. It's pretty good. Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, get on it. Um, Yeah, that's that. Michael Snydell, why don't you tell us where you can be found to now and the next time? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, where I'll be uh, trying to understand how time travel works and completely not understanding. <laughs> um and uh, I'm on Letterboxd. I'm still doing Hooptober. I watched this massive piece of shit called Hatchet today. Um, so you've just been having a real great weekend for movies. I watched, I watched a, fine. I watched a good movie this weekend. Uh, I watched two, two fun things. One is called Head Count, which is on Netflix and reminded me a hell of a lot of Coherence, which is always a good thing. Ooh, Coherence, great movie. And, and uh, Mademoiselle with uh, Jean Moreau, which is, will be gone from Filmstruck by the time you do this episode, but rules. So yeah, 
All right. Um, yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, and all that stuff at Brian J. Rowan, my personal site, dearfilm.net, also brianjrowan.com if you want to read my thing about Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Um, a movie that I will probably watch again very soon just because of this movie, which is, you know, make of it what you will. I feel like I need to wash the taste out of my mouth, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. You can also find every episode of these, this podcast at uh, thefilmstage.com, as well as writings and such from all of us. And uh, that's it. That's it. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, join us next week when we'll be talking about Joker. Thank you so much. Tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>